and even I found myself on one film like probably slightly unsafely on a bit of a bit of roof of St. Paul's Cathedral uh, you know all cornered off and everything I wasn't going to fall off but I just found myself in this kind of no access to the public section of St. Paul's and I think wow just stop, stop for a minute thinking hang on a minute this is amazing Ever wondered what the creative process is behind the films, TV shows and theatre productions you watch? Well, Crew Chats is a new podcast going behind the scenes and chatting to the crew that help make these productions. I'm Poonam and I usually work in the costume department. Whenever I tell people what I do, they're always fascinated. So I thought, wouldn't it be cool to hear more from the wonderful people who work behind the scenes to make the films and shows we all love? Today's guest is Dan Cox, whose love of cinema was nurtured from a young age through watching classic film favourites of the 1970s, 80s and 90s. With an ambition to work in the industry, he studied English and film at the University of Southampton. After graduating, he began to pursue his film career and was given his first opportunity with some work experience on the movie Will. He subsequently had his childhood dream to work on a Steven Spielberg film realised when he was offered work on War Horse as an additional production assistant. After being an on-set PA for a few years, Dan was promoted to the role of third assistant director and later to his current role in the film industry, Crowd Second AD. His credits as a Crowd Second include the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Society, Christopher Robin, Rocket Man, Enola Holmes and the upcoming Amazon show, The Power. Hi Dan. Hi Bruno. Thank you for coming on to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Very nice to meet you. Yeah, likewise. So I'm going to start with what you do. Now, this is going to be a twofold question. You're an AD. You're a crowd second AD. AD stands for assistant director. So there are different positions um, of ADs in the process of filming a film or TV show. Um, Before I get into specifically your role, could you just briefly explain um, the different ADs? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So the assistant directors or uh, ADs, so their job is to be focused on the day to day management of the set and to keep the shooting schedule on track so that production remains on budget, uh, basically. ADs are also at the centre of communication on any given production alongside the production team, especially once the film, TV show or commercial, etc. has uh, started filming. So, Uh, Thinking about the AD department as a pyramid structure, which it is, um, you've got the first AD, um, who is the boss at the top of the the ladder, uh, aside from the director, of course. Mm. Now, they're basically the right-hand person to the director. Their job is to run the set, uh, manage it, essentially, um, aiding the director to achieve their vision. They will uh, communicate to the rest of the on-set crew, what the director is hoping to achieve, and they'll work closely with the director, the director of photography, and other key members of the crew to keep the day running smoothly and on schedule. But they're also responsible for the health and safety of the on-set crew, so they'll work with and on behalf of the producers, um, plus any health and safety officers, etc., that are working on the production, to ensure that all filming practices are conducted safely on the set, but everyone obviously yeah. remains well and doesn't lose a limb. <laughs> <laughs> Ideally. So the first AD, therefore, has has probably, I, I mean, I'd say one of the most important on-set jobs, um, you know, outside of the director, to keep things running smoothly, calmly, ideally, and um, and safely, while making sure the director and the producers uh, achieve what they, they want visually. Um, next down the ladder, there's the second AD. Um, on mid to large film productions like the Marvels, Disney films, Bond films, etc., etc., uh, this role will likely be referred to as a key second AD, because there might be multiple second ADs kind of taking care of different aspects of the production, like um, a crowd second, which is currently what I do, 
uh, taking charge of organising all the sporting artists or, or the extras on the production. And so they'll be called a key second AD to kind of designate them as, you know, being the head second AD, so to speak. Yeah. Um, they're next down from the first AD, as I said earlier, and, and uh, that position holds a lot of responsibility in itself. Um, but their responsibilities are perhaps in a little more of a behind the scenes capacity, uh, usually working from a production trailer at the unit base. Uh, the unit base is essentially where all the cast trailers and catering trucks, et cetera, et cetera, they all plot up there for filming. And essentially, it's a totally transfer, uh, transportable base of operations, not dissimilar to a traveling circus, uh, in all <laughs> honesty. The, the second AD will work very closely with the production manager and their team, the production team, um, but a large part of their day is spent focusing on working very closely with the principal cast members, organizing their filming or prep schedules, liaising with the costume and makeup teams to manage each cast member's get-ready process and timings each morning. Um, they also communicate with the transport captain to ensure, of course, that each cast member has a car to pick them up each morning and take them home after wrap. Um, and if a cast member needs anything in particular during production prep or filming, they'll most likely go to a second AD first and foremost, who will help them get what they need or want uh, within reason, of course. Now, another main thing the second AD is responsible for on a day-by-day -day basis is creating and writing a call sheet for each filming day. And a call sheet is essentially a document that details all the key bits of information that the cast and crew will require for the day ahead. Shooting hours, uh, scenes that are scheduled to be filmed, the cast required for each scene that day, the costume and hair and makeup timings for getting each cast member ready, and also things like um, what the weather forecast is, listing any special equipment that's on hire for that given day, any additional crew working, etc., etc. It's a slightly more production-based information like that goes into this document as well, all the way down to things like sunrise and sunset times. Now, you know, if you're filming down by the coast as well, they'd a second AD will make sure that the tide timings uh, are put into this document as well because you need to know when the window for filming on a beach is. You certainly don't want the casting crew to get swept away or cut off at high tide. So basically, any and every bit of information directly relevant to the, the given filming day gets crammed into this into document, which the second AD works tirelessly on and rapidly on before getting it approved um, by the first AD and producers later in the day. And then it's just distributed when the filming wraps. And basically, so that everyone knows uh, first and foremost, what time to show up to work the next day and <laughs> what they'll be doing, you know. Important. So it's a, it's, a, it's a pivotal document to day-by-day uh, -day filming. So next then, as I alluded to earlier, are um, any other second AD roles, uh, which on most decent-sized productions would likely include a floor second and a crowd second AD. But that can, ex that can include roles such as dancer second AD as well. If, like, for example, if you're filming a huge musical with a bunch of dancers, uh, you'll, you'll have a dancer second AD to manage that aspect. So I'll expand on the role of uh, crowd second AD in a bit. But as I mentioned earlier, they essentially take charge of the behind the scenes organization of all the supporting or background artists uh, on the production. Now, uh, then a floor second, uh, however, will spend almost all their time working uh, exclusively on set in, in very close conjunction with the first AD, basically the first AD's right-hand person. So they help them achieve their responsibilities, disseminating information to the crew about what's going on, helping keep an eye on the health and safety aspects, um, working closely with the cast on set to make sure they know what's going on and they're being looked after by the runners or production assistants. And they'll also usually be heavily involved with setting the action and giving direction to the background artists on behalf of the director. Um, as well as managing the rest of the on-set AD team. And they'll also, quite importantly, keep in close contact with the second AD who's working back at base to ensure the production base knows what's going on and dropping timing warnings for when cast members will be required on set, et cetera, et cetera. 
Um, next up would be the third AD. So a third AD could be said to have the same responsibilities as a floor second AD, especially when referring to um, like a smaller size production, which may not actually have the floor second role because the budget or scale of the production isn't large enough to accommodate that additional position. Um, in those cases, since there is no floor second as such, the third AD becomes the first AD's right hand on set. They, they, they have that same level of responsibility, basically. Uh, but talking in the cases of the larger Hollywood productions, for example, a third AD will work very closely with the floor second to support whatever they're doing. And they will often take charge of ensuring the cast are well looked after by the team, um, that the on-set costume and makeup teams are kept well informed about each shot or setup, as they're also referred to. They also take charge of ensuring the set or sound stage is locked up properly, preventing unwanted noises and movement during filming, which could naturally spoil the take. But technically, then, I guess at entry level of the AD team, there are the runners or otherwise known as on-set production assistants. They're hugely important to the AD team and the production at large uh, because, I mean, for example, when I was a runner, I often found myself feeling a little like I wasn't quite having that much of an impact or wasn't very important. You know, these feelings could come naturally to you, if, you know, on a bad day or whatever. And you, you're sort of longing to step up to the next level and get yeah. that next level of responsibility, you know, especially when you've been doing it a couple of years. Then when that time comes and you do begin to move up the ladder, you quickly realise how much uh, you lean on the runners for support and that you were actually, as a runner, vitally important to the process and that without runners, it would all very quickly fall apart in terms of communication and just managing the set. Uh, on any production, there could be two or maybe even just one contract runner on the smaller size productions, and um, this might increase to like three or five contract runners on the larger films. Uh, they, they act as welfare support to the cast on and off set, so they help the second AD back at base. Uh, they're, they're running off grabbing teas, coffees, uh, breakfast, lunch, dinner, whatever it is for the cast, making sure that the cast are, are kept happy and um, informed as well, so they can help disseminate information as well, you know, if that's come from the top, from the director or the first AD. And they also have other responsibilities, such as keeping the crew quiet during filming, for example, locking off sets, which means um, essentially stopping uh, unwitting members of crew or the cast or supporting artists, whoever it may be, from uh, sort of aimlessly wandering into the shot when they're <laughs> filming or, or chatting about what they did last night or whatever it was, you know, and ruining the tape. For their many facets of the role, they, they are hugely important to the team. That's really interesting. And there's so many different layers, like you say, um, kind of as important as each other and all cogs working towards the same thing. Yeah. Um, if you could explain what your role is in the AD team. Sure. Okay. So um, I'm, I guess I'm in the pattern of working as a crowd second assistant director. So essentially what that entails is I'm responsible in my role for the casting and management of all the supporting uh, artists or otherwise known as background artists um, on a film or TV show that I'm, you know, any, any production I'm on. Uh, I work closely with the director to get any specific briefs for character types in any given scene. Uh, often there'll be a, a sort of very important meeting I'll have with the first AD, the second AD and, and myself and, and the director. And we'll basically go through the schedule as it stands and the script. And um, as much time as the director can give us, basically, we, we take every second of it to to just kind of get what what they have in their head for who these people populating their film what, what they'll look like, you know, uh, any age groups or specific briefs that they might want. So we take all that information. I, I make relevant notes. Um, I pop it all into a crowd breakdown, uh, which is usually kind of painful to look at, but it details on a day-by-day -day basis of 
um, how many supporting artists we have in any given scene and how they br are broken down by character or gender. And I take that information um, and I work then very closely with the costume and makeup teams and their respective designers. I'll get any specific brief notes because they might you know, say, for example, it's a period film or TV show, assuming they're following the kind of historic trends of, of any given period, uh, there'll be a very specific set of rules and kind of specifications of what people, what hair length people need to have or, or will need to have their hair cut to. No no one is a sizist in the industry, but sometimes, of course, we are hiring costume or the costume teams are hiring costumes, as you'll know, from costume houses and they, they're not, they don't have the budget to make them. So they're coming in a very specific set of sizes. So we, we might have to get notes about size parameters for example yeah so i get all those that kind of information and then over time i'm kind of working yeah, very close in conjunction with a, a crowd agency or an extras agency so i pass that information along to them then and they you know they they go away and they check people's availability for the given days and they come back to me with a whole pool of potential supporting artists who the director may cast so i put take all their faces and pop them all onto a blackboard mount them up uh, or ho however the director wants to be presented uh, these folks and we I take those over and have a, another meeting with the director and say you know here are your 10 concierge options for this hotel scene we're doing you know who who would you like uh, who do you think fits the bill for this particular scene then they'll select their favorites and then hopefully all their favorites are still available so yeah. and then get them in for a fitting and you know so I'm organizing the fitting then with the costume makeup teams we make sure we've got the space available the relevant mirrors and equipment in place you know etc etc and um I invite the sporting artists to come along for the fitting and uh then the costume makeup teams have their time to go to work and go to town and that's where the magic starts to happen especially on a period film you don't always do costume fitting and makeup fittings when you know you're doing a contemporary yeah. production because perhaps you you don't need to there, there isn't the budget for it or you just simply just you can give people a brief because it's it's jeans and a t-shirt for example yeah. i mean it's rarely that basic but you know th that kind of thing I think you correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the costume and makeup teams really enjoy that aspect because that's where they start to see it all. Yeah, come together. definitely, you do sort of see it. Like you say, you see it come together. And if you're in, on the occasions I have been in, there's been people uh, having fittings and stuff. You do, it's something really especially if you don't get to go on set there's something really exciting about it and you kind of do see the beginnings of what the film will look like. So yeah, I totally agree with you. Yeah, naturally, after the fittings are done, then no doubt the uh, the shooting day any you know the relevant shooting days are looming so you get to them and then the job is about um giving out the information about when you need the sporting artists to arrive maybe you're arranging with the transport team for for coaches to to bring them from central london out into you know i don't know oxfordshire or wherever wherever you're filming uh in some remote castle so you you're shipping over your 150 extras or whatever it is from central London, and then you get them on. You get them to the crowd base, as it's called, uh, on any given the start of any given day, and it's about managing and the process of getting them ready and and working with costume and makeup to ensure that everything goes smoothly with that process. And hopefully, the supporting artists are ready on time and delivered to set safely in good spirits and ready to do as good a job as they can. I'm sure they are. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Um, so I'm going to circle back to your beginnings. How did you get into this world? Uh, since since really I can remember as a kid, uh, I've loved films. So I've had a kind of background hankering to be involved with filmmaking from a very young age. I remember specifically like my, I've got two older cousins who are brothers and they 
they kind of would take great delight in showing me movies when I was seven or eight that I probably shouldn't have been watching, <laughs> like Aliens. And to, you know, to other extents, the other great films of the 70s and 80s, like Gremlins, Ghostbusters and Star Wars, Back to the Future, etc. all these classics, Indiana Jones, you know, I, I, they, they opened my world to all these wonderful fantasy films that they loved and they wanted me to love. And naturally I did because they're so great. I don't think I've ever actually thanked them because I don't think I'd be where I am. I don't think I'd be where I am if, if you know, I, I don't know what I'd be doing. Who knows? Um, I, I forget. I often forget that I owe them a great debt uh, of gratitude. So yeah. Anyway, so that was you know I had all that kind of thing going on in my head for you know throughout childhood and growing up as a teen. And then um, after school, I completed an art foundation course for a year because I thought I wanted to be a graphic designer. Um, and I. I quickly realized when I got to the graphic design section of the foundation course I was no good like in comparison to my peers I was I was probably not going to cut it so um I steered away from that slightly and went to a, a slightly safer kind of theory course at the University of Southampton I went and studied English and film there um I did that obviously for a three-year period and I it was during that time I was got, got involved with the filmmaking society and things there wasn't a particularly grand affair but I, I got involved with that and we made a couple of short films and stuff in our time and I just it just helped rekindle that bug and also doing the the film side of that course I realized that there are always great films out there from different you know different like world cinema different decades uh, and also that the for British films as well that British cinema had such a great history and I never really considered that there was a British film industry that was actively working and, and going on whilst I was going about my day-to-day life so I thought hang on a minute well, if it's if it's there then I must be able to get into it somehow if I talk to the right people or just have a stroke of luck I didn't know anyone none of my family have ever been involved with the creative fields or or filmmaking anyway or tv so I didn't know anyone directly but obviously as soon as you start putting your feelers out then some friends of family or whatever might poke up and say because you know, for example, I got a couple of weeks work experience at, at Sky Movies. So it was, um, I think, a family member knew somebody who happened to know the, the head of that department or whatever. So they, you know, they got me in. I think that you hear so many stories like that. But yeah. If it's not direct nepotism, it's it's through, <laughs> you know, it's, it's contacts. It's families. That, you know, definitely a networking industry. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, Sky Movies is one thing that was great. That was a great week's work experience. But I, it wasn't it still wasn't quite where I wanted to be. Um, so I kept trying to plug my CV out. Uh, to various production companies in London and didn't get too much back and certainly no positive replies of saying, hey, come and do some work experience or anything like that. So I was only a couple of months in, but I was already getting quite frustrated with it. And uh, as you can imagine, but sort of fortuitously, someone I piped up and very kindly put me in touch with an established third AD um, who was working on a sort of mid to low budget film at the time. And um, I got in touch with him via email and he uh, very kindly invited me to come and work uh, with them for a, you know a couple of weeks of experience just to do a few days each week and I just said I'd do any, I'd be happy to do anything you want me to do so uh, he invites me and I turn up on my first day not having a clue luckily they called me in at about seven or eight a.m. so it was a really generous start because I didn't realize actually from I've uh, since become much more used as we all have to the five o'clock and six yeah. o'clock and earlier. So it was a sort of gentle easing into the film world. But that was my first day on set on this um, film called uh, Will. It was cool. I don't think it really saw the light of day. It's not in the cinemas. I think it was on Netflix for a time. But um, yeah, so that's that was my first way in. And, uh, you know, I rock up on set and I'm bewildered and amazed by what I'm seeing around. You know, it's probably, it's probably just a dolly on a, on a bit of track. But I was, hey, I'm on a film set. This is the best thing ever. And, Good feeling. I, and there's Bob Hoskins over there. So, you know, <gasps> I was like, so I was sort of over the moon by that and yeah that's how I got in and 
the people I, that I met that first day were very good to me. They even gave me a couple of paid days work after the end of the work experience. And I begged and pleaded with the third AD again to take me um, onto his next film. As a, again, to do anything, I'll, I said, I'll clean the honey wagons, which are essentially the portable loos. I'll, you know, I'll do, I will do anything. I'll, uh, you know, lock off a field, you know, whatever you need me to do. And if, again, to his great credit, he uh, invited me down to be a, an additional runner basically and hired me on and uh, so I went and did that which was great as well and, and then the rest is kind of history I guess as they say. That's amazing um people in the part in past episodes have sort of mentioned as well it just takes one or two very nice people to give you a chance and it literally does change the trajectory of your life so yeah absolutely. And your cousins, obviously, as well, which clearly they've had a massive. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I, I owe a lot of people a lot, basically, yeah. And hopefully I can repay, you know, hopefully, I, I mean, I'd, I'd love it if one day I could be that person to someone. Yeah, I think definitely get, like giving the opportunity to people coming in as well, I think is a really nice thing as well, definitely. So what do you love about what you do? What I love about being in the assistant director department as a whole is when you're in production and you're actually filming, I love the fact that we're at the centre of communication and the centre of, you know, all the information kind of filters through us and we're on hand to deal with this, that and whatever. And often, well, people always say that we're the first to know. I often find that I'm perhaps not the first to know about certain information, like if we're going into overtime or whatever, I often find that other departments find out before me. But that kind of feeling of belonging intrinsically to and being part of the filmmaking process I, I say it's, it's my fundamental love of what I do. I've also had other guests of yours say, you know, uh, the, the access you get to locations that you would otherwise never get access to or never think to get access to is 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 great. I've been blessed with the opportunity to work a couple of times abroad for a few weeks to get the opportunity to do that and kind of go and see the, these wonderful places in nature in different countries. And even I found myself on one film like probably slightly unsafely yeah, on a bit of a bit of roof of St. Paul's Cathedral, uh, you know, all cornered off and everything. I wasn't going to fall off, but I just found myself in this kind of no access to the public section of St. Paul's. And I think, wow, just stop, stop for a minute thinking, hang on, this is amazing. You know, looking down from a very high height, but amazing. that kind of thing I love as well. And, you know, just meet, there's so many different people, different types of people, people with different interests, people of different hobbies and different stories to tell. And you just meet so many interesting people along the way. It's so true. It's um, something that other people have said too, and actually kind of mentioned about being involved in the day to day. I think easy, I think we all kind of um, because you get so stuck in the day to day and doing your job that you almost forget that you're part of a film or a TV show or theatre or whatever it is, and mm. that actually you're contributing to making something that then X amount of people will then go out and see, and that you know you've had a little hand in that. I think that feeling is extremely gratifying when you step back and actually think about it because often I think with any job you sort of get in the quagmire of the day-to-day but no you're very astute to say what you've said there because you do get totally caught up in the day-to-day and you know in any situation I'm or anyone on a film set or involved in film production is so sort of focused on what they're doing and trying to do the job to the best of their ability often you can get stressed about things and you worry about things um you might come out of the back of a 10-week or 15 week job however long it is thank goodness that's over but um because it was tough but then it's sort of the power of hindsight you, you stop and you calm down and you look back on what you've achieved or you know whatever it is and you, you think oh, actually that wasn't too bad that was great in fact this was great that was great and also as a you know it's a product as you hinted at it's a it's seen by you know it's going to be seen by thousands of people or if not millions of people you can sort of see a tangible amount of work um which very very few other 
jobs kind of afford you. So that for me is great gratification. I and can never get over seeing my name in a, on a credits list. I can never quite believe it's happening. It's just sort of a dream come true, which I I definitely forget about when I'm in the heat of the moment. <laughs> worrying about what how I'm going to get 300 extras ready the next day that kind of thing is is great as well yeah you've um definitely identified some of the perks of the job there that def- I would agree with you seeing your name in um the credits is yeah you don't ever get over that feeling I think so you deal with sometimes whether it be 10 crowd or 200 crowd you're putting them in their places that they need to be and then you're telling them their cues and when to move and walk across all those kinds of things what happens when things go when they go rogue um, and do they go rogue? Well, <laughs> sometimes they do. I would I would say I'd, if I was to say that they often do, that would be a disservice to the many, many professional and very uh, good supporting artists that we have, in, certainly in, in the UK working uh, today. But yeah, we say, if we, you know, for example, the director tells the first assistant director, right, I need this hundred. We've got a ballroom scene and I want as the dancer troupe of 20 people. Or whatever. We need them in the middle front and foremost but then let's put the supporting artists scatter them around the outskirts of the ballroom dance floor and I want I want some waiters coming in you know from the left and right. I want it to be really busy I want lots of chat people chatting um, usually miming so we have to you know have to take that into account as well so then we will take all the uh, essays and we'll you know bring them into their positions the the first ad each first works differently so sometimes they want to have a really hands-on approach to it sometimes the first AD would delegate a lot of that to the, the floor second or the third ad to come in uh, or any additional crowd third ad's etc they'll come and position all the crowd give them the action and then you get to rehearsals and you rehearse and yeah okay a lot of the time, the first rehearsal is diabolical because <laughs> perhaps the, the perhaps you know the assistant directors have come in and they've it's all been a bit too much of a rush because you, you're running out of time or whatever, and they, we haven't given the information across clearly enough to each individual. Often, what happens is that if you because obviously you've got you're working with big teams of ads to manage these large numbers of people, people can end up accidentally giving different bits of direction to the same supporting artist, so they're then confused as to what they should be or shouldn't be doing. So kind of you can end up with people going rogue by by purely mistake, you know, innocent rogue. That kind of thing is easy easy to correct, and just a little bit more rehearsal and kind of clearer communication solves that one. Occasionally and very occasionally, you might get somebody who is just just not you know perhaps a bit rude or just just can't can't get the direction that you that you want. And you are it is a very time pressured environment. So if you are asking someone to come in from left of camera and walk straight across and then leave camera right you know you want them to do that and you need them to do that straight off the bat ideally and it's not too it's hopefully not too tricky a direction if they come in and they keep tripping up or they decide that they're going to actually talk to several people as they make their way across because they want to get more screen time perhaps you know (laughs) that kind of thing uh then we may be forced to you know give them a warning please don't do that again and we'll do another take and if it persists which you know on occasion it has I've, on a, uh, on one occasion I have been called to set to come and speak directly to somebody and ask them to politely just to to, to stop cease and desist what you're doing because oh, you know you've, you've done it four times now and we're gonna have to remove you you know because you're just not you're just not doing it uh, and you sort of this person was actively going out of their way to kind of they thought they knew better essentially but on occasion you you might have to come in and kind of try and sort out that kind of situation but it's rare in my experience it's very rare that's good then at least um because you must meet a lot of interesting characters doing what you do you certainly do and especially supporting artists are there are some wonderful people there are i i I meet people who are like-minded like myself 
and then there are people who are quite wacky you know and out there <laughs> equally wonderful and and great people and they've all got stories to tell like you you can you hear some crackers of stories from from these folks they've all often got, had such a varied kind of background in life and usually a, a completely different career before they've then wound you know maybe they've retired and they've I've you know worked with CEOs of companies who who, who then just come in, wow. come into work in as a 1940s passerby or something on a film set. You meet a whole variety of people, and some I would say 90% of them are are great people. There's always a 10% slight rogues out there <laughs> who, who don't really want to play ball. Uh, they're not really there for the right reasons. Like with anything, I guess, isn't it? Yes, yeah, that is fun. Um, so, uh, what inspires you? Again, I've heard other guests of yours say who work in more creative departments. But as an AD, we, we don't have to get involved necessarily with that kind of level of um, artistic detail. Certainly as a crowd second, actually, I think it's pivotal to, in terms of liaising with the costume makeup teams. I, I would take inspiration from a lot of what they they take inspiration from, if that makes sense. But I, yeah. And equally, I would say it's a specific period. I might go and watch several films of that period to try and uh, see what you know other productions have done um, it's probably where I go first and foremost for inspiration but equally just walk you know if it's more of a contemporary period thing soaking up what's going on around you when you're out and about you know, it's harder to do now of course global yeah. pandemic environment but you know if it's a restaurant scene when you're next in a restaurant sit down observe kind of what is what's realistic if the director's aspiring for realism what is realistic around, you know, in day-to-day life? Because then you can kind of, well, the aim is to try and replicate it. It's quite a simple thing. So it's that kind of approach. Uh, I, I thought I'd probably do it kind of without thinking I'm doing it to some extent. I think that makes sense, though, because you're absorbing the world around you and then that would inform how you then kind of are in your job. So that makes, I think that makes perfect sense. But I, I can't hide behind the fact that I, do, I definitely probably leech quite a lot of inspiration off of what the costume makeup, <laughs> the hard research that the costume makeup teams have done as well. But I think that, like I said, I think it's kind of important because ultimately I have to try and be on the same wavelength as them so that I can provide them with the right people to work with. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. So the other question I have for you is I've been on jobs whereby the ADs sometimes have to get involved in some of the scenes um, and end up having to be, say, um, some crowd. Have you ever been roped into anything like that? Um, well, it's funny you should say that because, yes, yeah, I have. I remember quite early on as a runner that, you know, they somebody didn't turn up for work one day. So I, it was a, like a 1960s period film. So I quickly ran off to the costume makeup team to get kitted out with a suit and whatnot. And then I go and sit and work in like an office space. Whatever. That was quite sort of low key. Uh, but, you know, fun, it's, especially when you're running, and you're new to it. It's like it's, that kind of thing happens a lot. Um, yeah. And then, I mean, and in one particular incident, yeah, I was uh, roped in on a slightly larger scale. So I was working on the film uh, Eddie the Eagle as the third AD, and we were filming out in Germany and Austria. And we're shoot- we were shooting a scene where a British Olympic downhill skier, for anyone who's seen it, when that character is first introducing himself and basically begins to set Eddie up for a cruel prank he's about to play on him at the um, Calbury 88 Olympics, Winter Olympics, I think in the script, it was um, just this bullyish character called Zach, I think, uh, and Eddie. But the uh, the, the director, uh, who's Dexter Fletcher, um, he felt it would be better if this character, Zach, had a posse of other bully extras with him. You know, a little posse that sort of follow him around everywhere. And, the, and the, that was the problem, the, because he wanted these other bullies to be seen every time you see the Zach character. So essentially to be filming both in Germany, where we were at the time, and in England later in the schedule, the only way to ensure that continuity, short of transporting German extras to England later, uh, which would have been expensive and slightly overboard, 
Um, the only way around it was to recruit members of the crew to play these parts. So production manager was called up and so was one of the younger standby prop team guys. And then uh, you guessed it, Muggins here was uh, <laughs> <laughs> asked to go and put a tracksuit on. So we find ourselves running off to costume and, as I said, getting these Olympic tracksuits um, fitted onto us. Uh, my, mine didn't fit. I had to push my trousers down like over my hips as far as possible without revealing anything and sort of <laughs> waddle to set. And then, so, and then we all got, like, you know, hair, hair and makeup for the 80s. So I get in front of the camera when they start to line up the shot. And, um, you know, I, in my job, I speak in front of lo- loads of people all the time and I'm, I'm happy to be filmed or whatever, you know. But for some reason, this time I get a bit of mild stage fright suddenly very aware of everything I was doing. And then when it came to filming the scene, I quickly realized that what I'd always perceived as a really simple action, which is basically walking forwards uh, before coming to a stop on a specific pre-prepared mark on the floor. I was so preoccupied with making sure I didn't stuff it up and miss my mark that in the finished film, uh, I'm, I'm ashamed to say, you can see me look down, check I'm in position. <laughs> once I'm happy, I've achieved this basic direction. I look up with a clear smile of relief on my face it's ridiculous. I mean, I probably did this every take. So the poor director and editor didn't have a lot of option but to uh, include my blunder. Um, it was all <laughs> retrospectively rather embarrassing. Yeah. And I mean, going back to what, you know, what we were saying earlier about if sporting artists ever go a bit wayward or whatever on set, there I was <laughs> going wayward yeah. myself. <laughs> I've had to, you know, since then, tried to be a little bit more measured and give a little bit more leeway before criticising anybody for uh, not quite nailing their supporting artist action the first time round. Um, <laughs> it's not as easy as it looks. Um, no, or, I, or, or maybe it is. You're not, you've not signed up, I guess, to be in front of the camera, have you? And I think it's easily done. It's like there's EPK things when they come and film what you're doing. And it's something you do every day. But then suddenly there's a fill of a camera there and you'll drop everything or something. I'm sure I've done that. Though. Yeah, I've done um, that. Yeah. yeah, but I'm sure it's, it's obvious to you because you know what it is. But I bet anyone else watching it probably didn't know, doesn't notice. <laughs> Any of my colleagues and friends who've watched, you know, watched the film and go, hang on a minute, I know him. They've all, they've all commented. <laughs> Definitely look at your mark. Exactly. This is appalling (laughs) background action, Dan. You doing? Yeah. So I'm probably just best to stick to the uh, ading side of things for the meantime. That was good. That was a good story. I come on to my final question, which is one of my favourites, which I say every week. But what are your three favourite to watch recommendations? So not necessarily like my favourite films, but ones I just have got resonance to me either always had resonance with me or um maybe recently in in this lockdown environment we all find ourselves in going back to what my cousins who introduced me to these 80s 70s films etc they also introduced me to a, a 1993 classic jurassic park yeah whether it was they told me to go and see it at the cinema i can't i can't remember i've got a very hazy view uh, memory of what when and how i first saw jurassic park but i remember i, I hold it as being the film that more than any other film caught my imagination it very sounds very narcissistic but if I was writing an autobiography I would definitely cite that as um as the the film that kind of inspired me to kind of go down the path I've gone down because it just caught my imagination so vividly and wildly I don't think this is a spoiler for anyone who hasn't if you haven't seen it you've got to see it basically what are you doing with your lives go out and see Jurassic Park (laughs) um yeah from the moment when they arrive on the island and they first drive they get driven up in the jeep and then uh, so Richard Attenborough, God rest his soul, sort of diverts their attention to the dinosaur that's out in the field, the, the Brachiosaurus, I think it is, not sounding too much like a geek. Um, <laughs> and, you know, Alan, Alan Grant and Ellie Sattler look around, look over and see this monstrously large um, dinosaur. And the way that was realised at, at a time when I don't, because I don't think visual effects were really, they weren't used that 
to that scale or to that effect yet. But I, I just remember they pioneered so much with that movie. And I still think it holds up to this day in terms of visual effects and the impact it has uh, from a cinematic point of view. So Jurassic Park, number one. Um, my next one, I, I have worked on this film, so I hope it doesn't come across as being too no, narcissistic. No. But um, uh, Rocket Man, I found a very challenging experience to work on. I was the crowd's second AD on that. It's a story that spans over, like many films do, but it spanned, I hadn't done this before, it spanned over four four or five different periods, uh, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, um, for in each of those decades, very unique looks. So I, in taking on board all those kind of notes, I've been trying to fit that puzzle together to, to make the crowd work. So I found it a challenging film to work on, but it's probably out of all the films I've worked on, certainly as a crowd second, I think it's the one I'm most proud of it's a great film first and foremost i think it's a great film like i think dexter fletcher did a really good job putting it together the dop it made it look great the, the costume designer a guy called julian day and his assistant son a show today that they, they did an amazing job uh, i also worked with um i think dougie hawks has been one of your yeah, guests dougie. dougie hawks did some dailies on it as he was uh he was great to me because he had such a wealth of knowledge you know as everyone in the team did but i just remember dougie specifically he helped me out on a couple of occasions yeah, certainly yeah. steer me the right way or if I was worried that the people that I found weren't particularly good for the part they were playing he's like no they're, they're, they're fine Dan he was he was a good calming presence Dougie Aww, so I'm eternally grateful grateful for his advice on that and I learned a lot from him so anyway Rocket Man yeah a challenging job but one I'm very very proud of I think it's a great film it's a great musical even if you're not a fan of musicals I think just watch it because it's it's just sort of I don't know, it just does everything so well. I think Taron Egerton's performance as Elton John is phenomenal as well. That's interesting. I'm a massive fan of Elton John's music. I'm just not, I'm, it's on my list to watch Rocket Man, I've added it. But yes, yeah, no, definitely watch it when you, when you can, but I'd recommend <laughs> that one a lot. Of, and of course, the crowd, the crowd look amazing on that as well. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> and more recently, just last week, I watched, this would be my third one, Just Mercy. I watched that on Amazon Prime. I think I rented that. Um, just Mercy. Is it yeah, the Michael B. Jordan? That Michael B. Jordan, thank you, and, and Jamie Foxx uh, start. And it's the story of this lawyer trying to get these people who are on death row to get them a retrial to look, you know, if, if their case seems a little bit flimsy, like the case that was brought against them initially, which has landed them on death row, this uh, black lawyer trying to give these guys another chance for a retrial if he thinks there's any chance that they might not have been guilty of the crime or they're certainly not guilty of having the death penalty. He, You know, an, an advocate for abolishing the death penalty, basically. And I think, I think we're incredibly lucky to live in a country where there is no death penalty anymore. But it's just the way it handles that story. And so and obviously recent news and everything, there's a lot been going on with the BLM movement uh, and everything recently. It's a really well handled film. It's really well told, well acted, well directed, uh, well written. And it's, I don't think it made much of a showing at any of the last um, awards season, you know, the Oscars or BAFTAs or anything, which I think is a bit of an oversight because it's it's really great. I just think you should all go and watch it. <laughs> Anyone who listens to this. That's been added to that. It's been on my list for a while in Fennessy. Finally, I, just a sneaker cheeky fourth one in there. Uh, I just, again, another Spielberg one because I'm a bit of a Spielberg fan. Um, Jaws, because I love that film wow. as well. Uh, I don't care how shonky the, the shark <laughs> Bruce look. 
I think I could just watch that film every day. It's a, that's a great film. Yeah, so those, those are my three slash four recommendations. Thank you very much. And thank you for being a great guest as well. Thank you, Dan, so well, much. Well, thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dan. Tune to the next episode where I'll be speaking to costume supervisor Levine Campbell. And if you get a moment, could you please like, follow or subscribe on your podcast platform and follow the Crew Chats podcast on Instagram. Thank you.